is where we're going to go. Psalms 79 this morning. <clears throat> One man made a, a comment. He talked about how sometimes when you're driving around and you're watching people, and you do that, I do that, <clears throat> and um, you see people in their cars and where they're at. You look at their faces and many times you can see some private pain, if you know what I'm saying. They're by themselves. Obviously, their minds are running through whatever's going on in their lives. And you might even been in that situation in your life, you know what I'm saying, when you're facing things and driving around. And they kind of can echo just the, the silent groan, if you will, of personal grief or personal pain. And I use that as a way of illustration preach a sermon entitled, The Prisoner's Groan, out of this chapter of Psalms. This is a time when the nation of Israel is in dire need of a move of God. As you run, read through this psalm, <clears throat> they're asking, How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? They're calling upon God to help them. Amen. And I'm just going to pull out one scripture instead of reading the whole psalm this morning just to kind of highlight where I'm going this morning. But obviously they're away from God. There's sin as we find many times with the nation of Israel. <clears throat> they're separated from God and they're feeling the reproach from God. Not only that, but just many times when they did get away from God, the enemies that they dispossessed, the enemies that they put out are now becoming... Uh, uh, attacking them and causing problems. And you saw that time and time again through their history. Uh, the only reason why they had any kind of dominion is because God was at working in their lives. Just that simple. They weren't just a powerful nation. God raises up nations, put down others. And so they're in a time right now where they're feeling the, the pain of their sin. And verse number 11 is just simply what I'm going to read this morning. You can read the psalm later yourself. And it simply says these words, Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who are appointed to die. I want to consider with you the prisoner's groan. And that's what I want to look at first of all. <clears throat> because you know when you, when you talk with people, and we do that a lot as we take the gospel to the streets and wherever you're at, talking to people on your jobs or in your families and by and large, people present themselves as doing just fine, right? There's no problems, and uh, sometimes you can feel they're doing better than you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're saved, living for God, and they're like, oh, yeah, my life is like, you know, maxing out here. We're doing really good. Or sometimes you can even talk to these same people that are doing well and thinking, you know what? What am I even going to tell them the gospel for if they're doing so good? <laughs> what do they need Jesus for? They're doing better than I am. But you know, that's not always true, is it? Because people hide their pain. They, they hide the things in their lives. They, they mask the things that are going on for whatever reason. And we can easily look at them and think, you know what, they'll, they'll never get saved because they're presenting a picture of their lives that uh, without Jesus, you know it's not true. It's just that simple, amen. 
And I think God wants us, us, if you will, in a sense, to see into the car and to sense, if you will, that inescapable disquiet that is going on in people's lives without Jesus Christ. The word groaning is a, it's an audible expression of pain, and that could be physical or emotional or even mental, amen, that the issues of life, and how many know life does have issues? Life has issues. People deal with them. You deal with them. And things that are always, if you will, running in the background, that obviously we don't wear all our pain, we don't wear our emotions on our sleeves and such, but you know, as we're living life, there are things running in the background that we're so many times can be dealing with, and people, especially without Jesus Christ, are dealing with these things in the background as they go about their daily lives. It always shocks you sometimes when you find out people getting divorced, and you're thinking, you didn't see any cracks in their marriage. But you see, because it was running in the background. Running in the background the whole time. And all of a sudden, that day comes and the thing just simply falls apart. But you know and I know that this thing has been running in the background for such a long time. It wasn't just one event, but there were things going on for maybe months and even years. And people deal with broken marriages or maybe even sometimes a lack of marriage. That they want to be married. They want to be in that position, but it's not happening. They want to find love. Sometimes we can have, you know, just in the background, kids in crisis. The rejection of our children. We all, I know about that. <laughs> you know how, you know, this is running on the forefront, but behind running in the background is, you know, sometimes just that crisis of our children. Uh, uh, in the home and what's going on there. There can be financial desperation, maybe even ruin. People struggling to make enough money to survive. Feel like you're on the hamster's wheel. You know what I mean? Just life is one thing after another. There could be treatment from other people. You know what I'm saying? No appreciation. Criticism, always the demands for more or better could be specifically on the job. All of us know what it's like to work for somebody that you don't want to work for. <laughs> but you got to make money. you got to live. you gotta, you got to carry on, and you're trying your best, and yet it's never good enough. There's health, ongoing, maybe deterioration. As people get older, we deal with things that you never thought you would deal with. You know what I'm saying? And it's why, it's why all the older people are trying to be healthy now, you know, and eating different things and, because they're realizing, you know, okay, time's running out for me. I better try to reverse this mess. No more Snickers bars for me. <laughs> it was no problem when I was in my 20s and 30s, maybe even my 40s, but now it's like... You know, testing myself for sugar levels. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so you're dealing with those things, the pain, the fear. Some people are dealing with addictions, things that they can't break. Hidden so some, nobody knows. They don't want anybody to know. There could be the guilt and the shame that comes out of that. It could be many, many different things that go on. And you don't usually see this with people on your job. You don't see this many times with people 
walking down the street or maybe at the Little League game. But you can see it in the car. Sometimes you can see it in the car, the true face. One man said these words. He says, I called on Dr. Johnson one morning. He's a, when Mrs. Williams, the blind lady, was conversing with him. She was telling him where she had dined the day before. There were several gentlemen there, she said. And when some of them uh, came to the tea table, I found that there had been a good deal of hard drinking. She closed this observation with a common and trite moral reflection, which indeed is very ill-founded. And does great injustice to animals. He says, I wonder what pleasure men can take in making beasts of themselves. The doctor says, I wonder, madam, that you have not, you have not penetration to see the strong inducement to this excess. For he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. What makes it the most miserable is the fact of that you can't escape from it. It's like our text says, prisoners, prisoners, amen. The groaning of the prisoner, amen. There's no way out. There's no way of life ever being any better. You feel trapped. I know what that feeling is like. I, I know what it's like to be trapped within my sin, trapped in... Uh, alcohol abuse, trapped in whatever, just trapped in my own sin and just knowing there's no way out and trying to come to grips with that. Come to the place where, you know what, this is my life. It's not the life I would have chose. It's not even the life I'm trying to choose. But because of my bad decisions and because of my inability to, you know, steer my, steer my right life right, I'm trapped and many times I can tell you I felt trapped in my life. Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. I've used the testimony time and again. I joined the military to escape that life. I was only 21 years old. I'd already built a life that was just pretty messed up. And I left. I, I, didn't, I didn't leave home. I escaped. I was like a prisoner who escaped. Only, only the problem was is I didn't realize that the issues were in here. They weren't there. So slowly but surely, when I went into the military, I became the very person that I was before, even though I was trying hard to outrun it. And that's the whole thing, what we're talking about here this morning, that people are trapped. They're, they're on the treadmill day after day. Uh, same thing over and over. There are people who are searching, but many who have even quit searching. It's kind of like the elephant, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's tethered by a chain. But how many know the elephant can snap that chain anytime he wants, but in his own mind, he's trapped and he can't get out. And so you've got this small chain that's got him tethered, but the elephant can snap it, no problem at all, as big and strong as he is. But in his mind, he can't do it. He, he's trapped by that small chain. And you and I can feel that same thing, Amen. That you can, you can feel the door to freedom, but yet you just look the other way. Been there, done that, amen. Then there's the appointment to die. Every man is appointed once to die. 
Death is not the end of pain, amen. In fact, it's the beginning of greater pain. It's a picture of, of unspeakable sadness. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 36. This is the, uh, a different translation here. He says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. So here's Jesus, and he sees beyond the facade. He sees people for, for what's going on. Amen. He sees the dejection. He sees the distress in people's lives, that they're lost. They're truly lost. And you don't always see that. I don't always see that. I see people, they're just getting on with their lives, but Jesus looks at these same people, and he says, they're lost. Amen. They're distressed. They're like sheep without a shepherd. These people, we encounter them every day. We pass them every day. Quiet desperation. We don't see it, amen, but the groaning is there. Jesus saw it. Bondage involves many times some demonic root. It's not just life. People are held in slavery to the devil, addictions and different things that are going on, things that are happening in their lives. It goes beyond just human personality. Henry David Thoreau said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. From the desperate city, you go into the desperate country. You have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats. A stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. There is no play in them, for this comes afterward. But it is a characteristic of wisdom not to do desperate things. I want to consider with you stepping into the gap. It's one thing to talk about evangelism. It's another thing to do it. Because let's be, let's be honest, to win people to Jesus and bring them to Christ, uh, you got to get involved with humans. <laughs> you got to get involved with people. You know, getting involved with people is dirty work. When I was in China, one of the things that I saw was the pastor there got so involved with people. It's really hard to bring people. It's not like just telling somebody about Jesus on the street. In a society like that, you can say, well, you know, did you ever hear the gospel? Jesus died for your sins. It doesn't make any sense. It's like coming from another planet. And so they have to bring him into a, 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 what they call an English corner to establish a relationship with them. And from there, they bring him into a Bible study and they show him what the Bible says and tell him about the word of God and different things. And I tell you, it really has to be an, an absolute miracle of God to lay hold of their hearts. That sometimes even bringing them out to church, you can pull an altar call, but nobody gets saved because they don't even know what saved is. It's so foreign to their minds. And so there's so much work to be involved with these people and the things that they're doing and to bring them out of some of the cultural uh, things that they're involved with, which are so uh, uh, anti-God, anti-Bible, amen. They're so steeped in, you know, in, in false religion. And so you got to work so hard with them. And that's the one thing I picked up when I was there. I thought, this guy's work ethic is like twice as mine. Working with people's lives. But if you're going to win people to Jesus, it's what you got to do. 
See, Jesus had a different picture for us. When he saw people, he didn't see people <clears throat> who were rip-offs and hard to work with and difficult. He saw it as a harvest field. He looked upon them and he saw a bunch of people, not just a bunch of people who are going to reject him and exploit him. He saw desperate, broken lives. That's what he saw when he looked on people. Amen. It was the compassion that he was always trying to put into his disciples. Look into the cars, what he was telling them. Look at these people. They're so desperate. Pray for laborers that would have the compassion of Jesus' heart. You know, they say Peruvian sheepdogs. When the sheep are put in trucks, the dogs chase the trucks. Because they, they're, hit, they're their sheep. They belong to them, and so they chase after them. You'd think they would say, glad they're gone. No, it's just the opposite. They chase after the truck. They want to be a part of that. Amen. Here in this psalm, it's a prayer. It's a prayer of interceding, if you will, for these desperate lives. He's asking God to hear, amen. But we know God does hear. But he wants to hear from us. See, God also, he already hears the desperation. He already hears the groans of the prisoners. What's interesting is he wants to hear from you and I. That's what this prayer is really saying, amen. He wants to hear from you and I. He set it up this way, that we are to intercede, that we are to stand in the gap, if you will. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, rescue those being led away to death. And restrain those stumbling toward the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know about this. Does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? Does not the one who guards your life know? In other words, go before God in prayer for these lives. Something of a desperation in us that says, God, things got to change. This cannot stay the same way. This cannot stand, Amen. We're not going to let the devil destroy these lives or destroy our city or destroy our nation. I mean, it's pretty obvious we're seeing things not doing too well, amen, even in our own city, our nation, amen. But that's beside the point. We're not to stand by and just watch it go down the tubes. Desperate people need desperate prayers, need intercessors. Target people in your prayer. People that are in your sphere of influence, Pray for them. Lay hold of God. God knows what they're going through. He knows the desperation of their heart. He wants to hear from you. You know, one man said it's natural to care about our unsaved kids. It's a miracle to care about other people's souls. Have to be the one who enters in to the midst of these anguished souls, amen, past all the criticism, break through in prayer, amen, to seek to reach them with the gospel. Something has, there has to be a hunger in our hearts that has, wants to reach people because we can go by every day and just watch them go by. The prisoner groaning. Behind the scenes, things going on, things running in the background. Paul, he was rejected by the Jews, but you find when you read the scriptures, he's still in anguish over their conversion. 
They can't stand the guy. They want to kill the guy. And yet he agonizes over their conversion. Still went to them first in the city. He's the one that went to them. Still had a heart for people. No matter how they treated or how they acted or what, what they were like, it's like, that's not the issue. He saw the harvest field. Just like Jesus, the same people that would reject him, he said, look, it's a harvest field, white for harvesting. He had a total different heart toward people, a compassion, amen, to reach them. You know, part of being used and is throwing these people the life preserver of the gospel. I think I've used it before. A guy tried to picture salvation and, and he pictured us, us, you and I, getting pulled out of a, a, a drowning situation, drown, pulled out of the ocean, if you will. And we're holding on to the gospel of the life. It pulls us to safety. And then he said, you know what, I, I, I got it wrong. He repainted the picture, or we drew the picture, and had the same man holding on to the gospel being pulled out of this ocean, of this sea of sin, the world, going to hell, whatever you want to picture it. He's holding on to that life preserver. But this time, he's reaching back. He's reaching back. Not only is he being pulled out, but he's being pulled out and he's reaching back to pull others out with him. That's what it's all about. That God pulled me out of this mess. It wasn't my bright idea. It was God letting me hear his voice. Amen. Through a person, obviously, in my life. That as he's pulling me out, my job is to reach back, see who else I can grab a hold and say, hey, take a hold of this the gospel of Jesus Christ that will set you free. You have to recognize that people might not respond right away. I didn't respond right away. I did what everybody else did. I mocked, argued, had some kind of a religious explanation. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow I presented my case as being a Christian already. Holy mackerel. I mean, how can you... <laughs> How can I even concede the fact that I was a Christian? I was the farthest thing. I wasn't even shouting distance. But when I heard the gospel, I put up a fight. Exodus 6, 9, But when Moses repeated those words to the Israelites, they would not listen to him because of their cruel slavery. They had reached the depths of despair. Sometimes you just have to give the Holy Spirit time to work. Don't be put off by people's rejections. Don't be put off by their anger. Whatever response you might get from folks, don't be put off by that. People without God are desperate people, hurting people. They might not see it on the outside, but it's going on behind the scenes. We know that because we're part of the human race. being reached with the gospel and yet fighting it at the same time. Get out of my face. I don't want to hear it. I don't do church. I don't believe in this nonsense. And the whole time your heart is breaking because of your sin. If you give them time, the Holy Spirit will work upon them.
because you see, once the gospel was starting to be preached to me, I couldn't get it out of my head. I just couldn't get it out of my head. It's like it was running around inside me. It was just another, it was almost like it was another problem in my life. But it was a good problem, amen. Don't be afraid to witness to people and to share the gospel. And one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to tell them again. It really is. Because you get that, you always get that sense that you tell somebody about Jesus and the job is done. Well, I told them about Jesus. They rejected. But they're still in a rejected state. They rejected it before you ever said a word to them. They're still in a state of separation from God. See, that's where we intercede. That's where we intercede, lay hold of God and say, God, help me. Give me an open door. Give me words to speak. Give me a heart for the lost because it ain't natural. Give me a burden for the lost. Let's look lastly at the greatness of his power. We ought to be horrified, really, about the impact of our apathy toward the groaning of the prisoners. Let's be honest tonight. We have selfishness in every one of our cells. It's in us. We are hopeless, or we can be hopeless prisoners to our own self-absorption. It's something we have to deal with, every one of us. And not just one time. It's not come to an altar, repent of your self-absorption and be set free. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice, huh? In the face of all that we deal with, the disappointments, because sometimes working with people and rejection, we can be very disappointed, but we have to look beyond that to the greatness of God's power. Here is a hopeless situation. The worst, amen. The inevitable progress toward death, if you will, in our text. There's no way, humanly speaking, for this to change. In our intercession, God gives a power that can preserve the prisoner from death, amen, and see them set free. Power that breaks through the despair, reaches their hearts with the gospel. It's the power of the gospel is in the gospel. The power of the gospel is in the gospel, folks. We know that to be true. That's why someone can witness to you uh, witness to somebody and it, you can't get it out of your head. I remember that so distinctly being witnessed to and it's like this guy disturbed my life <laughs> with words. It wasn't enough for me to say get lost. I want to see you again. <laughs> Laugh it off, joke it off, cuss it off, whatever thing I did. And yet still have it working in me. The power of the gospel is in the gospel. And you have to really believe that. You have to believe, amen, that, you know, God is in this thing. He's at work. It's a power to give us the heart that we need to have that compassion, to see like Jesus saw. It's not automatic. 
It's not even natural. See, the burden is really supernatural. It's God birthed. One man said, you know what? When you pray, every time you pray, you ought to pray for a burden for souls, a love for people, and a love for the Word of God. The power to stain our efforts beyond who and what we can see. The greatness of His power carries our labors to others' lives, even to other times bearing fruit that we will not even see until eternity. How many grandmothers have prayed for their children and their children's children, never to see them get saved? And yet today they're saved. And we don't always make, we don't always connect the dots to a praying mother or a praying grandmother, but they were there laying hold of God. Oh, God, save them. Don't let them go down the same road as everybody else is going down. Because inevitably, they're going to go down the same road. They're going to be doing the same thing. And all I can do, I can't do anything more but to pray for them. And you never know when you're interceding, when you're believing God for people, you never know what's going to transpire down the road. When you'll find out this on the other side of eternity. You'll never find out sometimes on this side of eternity what your investment was into people's lives. Because we see them come and we see them go. We talk to people all the time. And we might not ever see again, but you never know what your investment is doing, actually doing this side of eternity. That sometime, one day, you'll step into eternity. And you'll, they'll say to you, I'm, thank God you came to my door. Thank God you told me the gospel. You started something that didn't end until I bowed a knee to Jesus Christ. You started that. Because you took the time to speak the gospel to me, even though I said horrible things to you. And I rejected it. You never know. See, the Lord of the harvest, he's also Lord of the seed. He's Lord of the seed. Amen. He guards the seed. And sometimes he guards it for later times. Later times, amen. When it comes to fruition, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to anoint, to direct, to sustain it. You have to seek by faith, God, help me. When I preach the word of God, that the seed will germinate, the seed will produce fruit. You have to believe that God's at work. Because when you target them, you've got to believe that the Holy Spirit's targeting them as well. I'm going to close with a, well, it's a lengthy, but we have time. <laughs> but I tried to cut it up, and I can't cut it up any other way because it kind of illustrates what I'm saying. The story started many years ago in a Baptist church in Bournemouth, England. One night, the pastor, Francis Dixon, asked a man named Peter to share his testimony. Peter got up and said, this is how I got saved. I was in the Royal Navy. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, and out of nowhere stepped a gentleman. And he said to me, excuse me, sir, but could I ask you a question? I hope this won't offend you. But if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says it will be either heaven or in hell. Would you think about that, please? Thank you. God bless you. Then the man left. I'd never been confronted with that question. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I got back to England, met someone who took me to a mission, that's where I became a Christian. Some while later, they had a youth meeting in the same church in Bournemouth, and Noel, one of the visiting teams, shared his testimony. 
This is how I came to know Jesus Christ. I was in the Royal Navy, and, and my ship was stationed in Sydney. One evening, I was walking down George, George Street, when out of nowhere stepped a man. He said to me, young man, I have a question to ask you. If you should die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or hell? Now, don't try to evade the question. It must be one or the other. What he said bothered me for many months. I know what that's about. He said, I sought out a Christian. He helped me. I gave my life to Christ. The Baptist pastor from England was very puzzled. Not long afterward, he was preaching in Adelaide, South Af uh, Australia. When he decided to tell the story of Peter, Noel's separate encounters with the man on George Street. As he did so, a man jumped up excitedly. He said, I'm another. I'm another. I was drawn to receive Christ the same way by the same man on George Street. This was Corporal Murray Wilkes who had been in a hurry to catch his tram on George Street when a voice behind him called, Hey, wait. Murray stopped, turned around. The stranger uh, uh, in front of him said, Soldier, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or hell? I hope I'd go to heaven, Murray, Murray replied. Hoping isn't good enough, said the stranger. You can know. The stranger's question had exposed a raw nerve in Murray's life. And although he was a good living, church-going, married man, he also knew he was a hypocrite and had never faced the question of eternal destiny. Two weeks later, Murray knelt in the army barracks and gave his life to Christ. Francis D Dixon continued his tour when preaching in Perth, Australia. He once again shared the stories. Afterward, a young man came up to him and said uh, how he too had been in the Navy, visited Joy Street, and became a Christian after meeting a stranger with the compelling question. Mr. Dixon finally arrived in Sydney. He was eager to find out about, uh, more about the urban missionary. And he asked a Christian worker, who is this man in George Street? I know him well. His name is Frank Jenner. So Dixon went to his house. He was introduced to Frank Jenner. As Francis related the story of the, uh, this is the pastor Francis Dixon, of the four servicemen who had come to Christ through a simple question, Frank began to weep. I never heard that anyone I had spoken to had gone on for the Lord. Some made decisions when I talked to them on a Saturday night of witnessing then came home for breakfast on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Sometimes 30 people came home with me, but I never knew any more than that. Frank had carried on his work for 16 years, and this was the first time he had heard of any lasting results. I'd say he really had to be committed to show that sort of gratitude and love for Jesus to do that for so many years and not hear of any results. Over the next few years, Francis Dixon preached around the world, told Frank Jenner's story. In the UK, evangelism convention where pastors came to hear said they'd, they'd been arrested by the stranger uh, with his startling question. In India, missionary convention, an Indian man had come to Sydney on one visit, been confronted by Frank's question. He became a Christian. Jamaica, the United States, it seemed like people were getting saved all over the world by this one man in Sydney, Australia. It's impossible to know how many lives were touched by the one-line sermon, but it's safe to say Frank Jenner's legacy, measured in terms more lasting than simple numbers, can convey. Frank, Frank recounted his own journey of faith, which is every bit as remarkable as the lives that he touched. Before I knew Jesus, he said, I lived a wild life as a sailor to the full, had been addicted to gambling. 1937, I met the Savior, transformed my life. Addiction to gambling was gone forever. In gratitude for his second chance in life, he pledged to serve God to the best of his ability. He said, each day my aim is to speak to 10 people about Jesus. And I did so for 28 years until Parkinson's disease took its toll. 
wartime, peacetime, good times, bad, I continue to do the work that I promised to do. It's been estimated that over the years, Frank talked to more than 100,000 people, actually more than most pastors would address in their lifetime. He never even knew who was getting saved. He just took it upon himself to share the gospel. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of different things we could say about that, but the one thing that you definitely need to take from that story is he had a heart to share the gospel, to lay hold of people's lives, to confront them with their need for Savior. Amen. Knowing that chances are he would never see them again. And what he didn't know and what many times we don't even take into consideration, the word of God goes forth and does not come back void. The power of the gospel was in the gospel. Many, many testimonies of people getting saved all because of this one-liner. I don't always advocate that kind of witnessing. I want to bring people into a church and all these kind of things. But the point is, you never know. Amen. Well, you do know. You do know you do know that your investment will never be in vain. If you'll take the time to witness to people, share the gospel. Don't be confused by the facade because behind that, sin is wreaking havoc. Behind that, running in the background are things that are happening in people's lives that we'll never know. But it's like I said in my earlier illustration, you have to be able to see into the car and See the prisoners groan because that's what's happening in their lives. On the outward, it might be one thing, but everybody's need is for a Savior. And God's waiting for us to intercede. It's God's plan, not ours. God's plan was to use you and I to reach the lost. He could have done it with angels. He could have done it with writing in the sky. God could have done it a lot of different ways but he chose to do it this way. It's the only way that we have. Amen. We can't wait for writing in the sky. We can't wait for people to find tracks. We can't wait for people to have bad dreams and come to Jesus. There's all kinds of stories I've heard over the years. The one thing that we do know is true. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Have to believe the gospel, the powers in the gospel. And God, you can use my life just like Frank Jenner, that God can use my life. And he did. He's actually using your life as well as you are faithful to throw the life preserver of the gospel out to people's lives. Let's bow our heads this morning. The prisoners groan. Thank God for salvation.